We're doing a series. We've been in this uh, for, this is 14, uh, part 14, Jesus, name above uh, every name. And uh, the reason why we're, we're doing this, and one of the things that we've been saying is that there's no one name or even a dozen names that uh, are sufficient enough to describe the, the wonder, the awesomeness of the person we know, the most incredible person in the universe, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, uh, the God-Man Jesus. And so we've been breaking down some of the names. I just wanted to, I felt it was important to share with you uh, why I chose today's uh, title message. Usually I'll, I'll, I'll uh, take a list, and, and there's a list of over 300 different titles and names of Jesus, and I'll pray over it, and, and when, when I kind of come across something that I feel the Lord wants me to talk about, you know, I'll, I'll start to study about that, and, and this time it was a little unusual. I wasn't even thinking about it, and usually I start thinking about my next message right after I finish this one, you know, so about 12 o'clock or so, 12.15, I'll start thinking about next week's message. And that's just the way it is for me. Uh, one thought at a time, you know. And so, uh, but it was, I was, believe it was Monday night. I wasn't, wasn't thinking about uh, today's message. And uh, my wife and I, we were watching uh, Chopped on uh, the Food Network. Now, how many of you, let me ask you this just to get a feel. How many of you have seen the, the program Chopped? Let me just kind of see your hands. All right. So the majority of you, so you know what I'm talking about, right? But for those of you who've never watched Chopped, it, it appears on the Food Network channel. And, and that's really where I felt, I felt the presence of the Lord. And I felt the Lord direct me to speak on this subject that I'm gonna share with you. So, so let, me, let me give you a little bit of background. The, the, the program Chopped is a, is a cooking uh, kind of a competition. Uh, they usually start out with four uh, chefs from different backgrounds. And uh, there's uh, three stages. There's the appetizer, there's the entree, and the dessert. And uh, through the process, there's a process of elimination. The, the, the ones who uh, are, are not able to pass the judge's table are chopped, right? So if your dish doesn't cut it, you will be chopped. And they're, and they're judged on the basis of creativity, taste, and, and uh, presentation. Uh, I think I could probably do a good job hosting the show. So in case they're looking, uh, send their, their guy on vacation, I'm their man. So anyway, uh, we really like the show. My wife and I, we kind of multitask while we're kind of watching, listening to the show. We've got laptops open and we're doing work and she's doing schoolwork and I'm, you know, doing some emails and stuff like that. So I'm half paying attention, right, to this program. And, and on Monday night, it, there was four firemen who also happened to be chefs or, or cooks for their individual firehouses. And so, and so this was the competition between these four firemen. And uh, three were, were male and one was a, a female. And uh, one of the things that really kind of drew my attention or got, my, got me really interested was the comments. You see, what happens is like the first five minutes of the show, they kind of give you a little bit of the the individual's background, you know, their experience and, and what they're doing. And, and, and a lot of times they ask, why do you want to compete on CHOP? Or, or, or what will you do with the $10,000 prize if you become the CHOP champion, you know? And a lot of times the, the responses are something like, well, I, I really would like to validate my ability as a chef or, or something along those lines that are very kind of self-serving or self-centered. But, but this time, the, the, the guy said, uh, who, was, who had been married for like 30-something years to, to, to his wife, he said, 
He said, I, I want to win Chopped so that I can take my wife to Hawaii uh, because she is the love of my life. She, she means everything to me. And my ears kind of really perked up when I heard him say that. I mean, I, I was sincerely touched by uh, his sincerity. Uh, and he said some other uh, nice things about, about his wife. And uh, so I, I, I got really excited and I turned to my wife. We're not really thinking about it. I just, I turned to her and I said to her, I love it when, when husbands love their wives the way I love you. I love it. I said, when husbands love their wives the way I love you. And she battered her, her, her beautiful brown eyes and she said, honey, nobody, no man loves his wife the way you love me. Did you hear what I said? She's right, you know. She she said no no man you know no, seriously you know I'm kind of humbled by that you know and it's it's flattering and but now, the, I immediately thought of you know the only person that really is worthy of that kind of a a statement is Christ, who who loves the church with a spousal love with a bridal love that is that is unmatched. Uh, incomparable. That's the way that Jesus Christ loved. So I want to talk to you this morning about Christ as the bridegroom. Christ as the husband of the church. You, you, you've probably heard the, the church referred to as the bride of Christ. You know, th- this is one of the major themes that goes way back into the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament that, that Yahweh was the husband of, of Israel as a people. He had found Israel and he had, he had wooed Israel as a, as, as a woman and, and entered into a covenant relationship, a, a marital relationship, you know? And, and, and so many of the parables, Jesus placed himself as the bridegroom. In fact, in fact the disciples of John the Baptist, they, they, uh, they, they come to Jesus because they're miffed about a, a situation. They're, they're perturbed about the fact that that Jesus and his disciples aren't fasting while John and his disciples were fasting off. And even the Pharisees fasted, but, but Jesus and his disciples were feasting and celebrating. And so, and so they came to Jesus with this problem and they said, how is it that you and your disciples aren't fasting? You know, in other words, don't you want a move of God? You know, and that's one of the reasons why we would fast is because we would like to see God move in our life, Right? So, 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 so Jesus, I mean, you know, think about the logic of it. He was God moving in their midst, so why fast? And so what Jesus said was, as long as the bridegroom is in your midst, there's not going to be mourning. It's going to be celebration. As long as the bridegroom is present, there's no reason to fast, but there's a reason to celebrate. And some of the other... Uh, parables. Uh, the Apostle Paul saw himself as the father of the bride with the Corinthian church, and, and he wanted to present them as a pure bride to Christ. Uh, we, we read it in the book of Revelation, in the consummation of the age of the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And blessed are all those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, so this theme of, of Jesus being the the bridegroom is, is, is one that is really uh, predominant in the word of God. And so we want to share this morning from this glorious title that comes up over and over again. My, my wife and I, we have this kind of uh, 
uh, playful banter that, that we've been doing for a long time. Uh, and it's about which one of us loves the other one more. And uh, she's wrong about that too. You know, uh, I love her more. I tell her I love her more. I, I'll, I'll send her a text and I'll say, I miss you, honey, love you. And she'll write me back and she'll, she'll say, I miss you more and I love you more. And I say, no, 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 me more, you know. And we go back and forth like that. And we've been arguing with that. And, and, and she bases her argument, uh, and I've, I've heard her say this many times, she bases her argument on the fact that she's a woman. You know, it's a feminine virtue. Women love men more than men can possibly. And I tell her, listen, you're so wrong because I base my, my, my logic, my reasoning, my, my, my deduction based upon divine revelation. You see, Paul said that husbands ought to love their wives in the same way that Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. There's no way that that we in our failings or frailties as a finite humanness could love Jesus possibly as much as he loves us. I mean, he loves us infinitely more. And so therefore, my deduction is based upon divine virtue, not female virtue or male virtue. So, so we have this bantering back and forth about which one loves the other one more. But I got to tell you, it wasn't always, wasn't always good. You know, if, if, if we have a marriage that's inspired my, my children or inspired others in, in the church, uh, if we have the kind of marriage that, 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 that should be, and I believe it is, that, 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 that should be an example to the body of Christ, and again, I believe it is, it is all because of the grace of God. It's, it's all owing to God's work in us. First of all, saving us so many years ago and then also healing our marriage because we, we're almost a statistic. You know, I, I've, I've shared our story on many occasions over the years and, and, and some of you may, may not know this, but uh, we, we almost didn't make it. I mean, the first couple of years of our marriage, um, there was a, a, I mean, and the, the reason why we almost fell, because I was a jerk, you know, and I'll just be honest with you. I, w- I was a jerk and I didn't treat her the way that I should have treated the woman that I, I promised to love, honor, and uh, all of that. Uh, so, so what happened was we, we, had a, we had a real situation where my wife wisely called the locksmith, changed the locks on the door put my clothes in a cardboard box and left it out on the porch with a note. And uh, she was right to do so. And this, this is before we were saved, before we came to Christ. Uh, I, I remember vividly, I, I, it's an experience I will never forget. I remember sitting in my car, parked on 80th Street in Queens. I was on park. And I'm, I'm sitting in my car, and I'm at the crossroads, really, of, of my life. And suddenly, I just experienced. I mean, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. It would have been impossible for me to, do, to describe what was happening then. But, but now, looking back, knowing, you know, with the experience that I've had with the presence of God, that, that God literally flooded my, my, my car. Uh, that the presence of God began to work on this heart of mine. Uh, maybe it was like the prodigal coming to the end of himself and, 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 and knowing that there was no other place for me to go but then to go back home. 
in a place of humility, you know, but, but that confrontation of God in my life in that car that day was the beginning of God working a work of healing, not only on me. I, I mentioned a few, I think it was last week, I mentioned uh, when I was uh, alarmed about the uh, legalization of marijuana, I said this last week, uh, I, I, I admitted to you, I told you that before I came to Christ, I was physically and emotionally addicted to, to marijuana for a number of years. And, and how, how alarming that was to me because, because that was so destructive in my life. And that was part of the destruction that led to almost the dissolving of my marriage. But it was more than that. It was the sin nature that only, that only Christ could heal. And uh, amazingly, uh, it, 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 it began in that car where I just felt the presence of God. And, and then over the next couple of uh, weeks, we actually had separated for a short period of time. And uh, when we were reconciled, uh, we uh, both came to Christ the same, the same moment, the same night. We both gave our hearts to Christ. And, and, and what I want you to know is that the work of salvation is not just about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness, but it's also about transformation. And God began to change both of our hearts, me in my wickedness and my wife in her self-righteousness. And God began to fix us both and to restore our relationship and to restore our lives. And it began, it began by, by the grace of God. And, and so 44 years later, so here we are, right? We'll be celebrating our 44th year uh, this September. And uh, we've, got, we've got a really amazing love relationship. And it's, and it's a great love story. But listen, every great love story really is only a reflection. It's like, it's like the, there is no light on the moon. The, the, the moon is just a big ball of dust. But it reflects. When, when the juxtaposition of the sun is in the right place, it reflects a light. And, and, and really, the, this, this love relationship that I have with my wife now, it really is merely the reflection of his love for us and his love for the church. Uh, I, I read a story about uh, Cyrus, King Cyrus, who was uh, the king of the Persian Empire. And uh, as he conquered nation after nation, they, they brought before him a fallen prince and his family. And uh, Cyrus looked at the fallen prince and he said, what will you give me if I, if I spare your life? And uh, the fallen prince said, I will give you half of my wealth. He said, well, what will you give me if, if I spare your children? He says, I, I will give you all of my wealth. And then he looked at the princess's wife and he said, but what will you give me if I spare your wife? And the fallen prince looked back and said, I will give you, I'll give you my life. And Cyrus was so impressed by the devotion that this prince had for his wife that he restored them to their fallen kingdom. See, I like that story because it's a reflection of the reality of what Jesus Christ has come to do. He's come to purchase for himself a bride. But Jesus also in that process sets us free. It was for freedom 
that Christ has set us free by literally giving of himself in exchange and substitution for us. You know, I I really love the following scripture we're going to be looking at. It's from the book of Ephesians, but I want to look at a translation that you may not be familiar with. It's kind of a paraphrase. It's it's Eugene Peterson's uh, Bible called The Message, and uh, it's a It's a real interesting take on uh, what Paul, in this very familiar portion of scripture where he talks about husbands and the way that husbands ought to love their wives, and and I'm sure that maybe many of you are familiar with it, but but the key really to understanding not only how men should love their wives, but how wives should love their husbands, and how really we should love one another. The key really is found in the first two verses of chapter five. So let let me read that for you. He, He says this. In verse 1, he says, watch what God does and then do it. You know, you think Nike had the first, you know, just do it. But here it is. Watch what God does, then do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. And we all know that we've seen that, that, that children imitate, they, they mimic what they see in their family. And let me tell you something, Uh, the greatest thing that you can do, maybe you're not married, maybe you're a man here this morning, and and maybe you're at the age where you're beginning to think about getting married. Let me just tell you, the greatest thing that you can do for your family, for future children, is to love your wife, respect your wife, because they will begin to mimic what they say in your home as you honor and as you respect and love your wife. He says in verse two, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then he says, love like that. What's he saying? He's saying love extravagantly. Throw caution to the wind. Love with all of your being, with all of your heart. The apostle John said something similar. He said, he said, this is love. Not that we first loved God, but that God first loved us. Gave himself for us. God's always the one who, who initiates the contact. Then in verse 25, having read the key, now let's unlock this passage of scripture for us. With that in mind, Love extravagantly. He says in verse 25, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. Well, how did, how did Jesus love the church? He gave himself. He, he sacrificed himself. He demonstrated his love, not in words, but in deed and in truth. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. I believe that the healing that we need to make us well, to make us whole, is the love of Christ. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her. It's saying that the word of God has been given to us to build us up and to give us an inheritance, the word of his grace is able to transform our lives. And that's why the word of God is so important to us. 
It's to bring out the best of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor. It is in your best interest, men, husbands, to love your wives, future husbands. It is in your best interest to love your wife extravagantly. Why, he says, since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and he pampers it. He nourishes, he cherishes it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. Paul says, I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. You know, I always used to, with counseling couples, would say, men need respect and honor. Women need love and praise. But really, we, 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 it's interchangeable. We, we, need, we need it all. We need to be built up. We need to be encouraged. And, and the person who is closest to us, that spouse, is the one that we need the most encouragement from. They become like that old song, is the, the wind beneath our wings. Love like this. Love extravagantly. Cherish the way Christ has provided and nourished and cherished the church. In his book, uh, The Fine Art of Friendship, there's a, a story by the author uh, who uh, tells about a man who wanted a divorce. But he just didn't want a divorce. He wanted a divorce where he wanted his wife to be made miserable in the process. And so he had a buddy who was a, a psychologist and he called him up and he says, what, what, what can I do? She, you know, I'm going to get a divorce, but, but I, I just want to make her life as miserable as possible. And so the psychologist came up with this as a, as a, as a plan. He says, what, what you need to do is you need to, number one, change your attitude. You need to treat her like a goddess. Do things for her. Talk to her like never before. Shower her with presents. And you, you do that for a couple of months, right? And then you say to her, pack your bags and you say, hasta la vista, baby. And she will be miserable. So this guy couldn't wait to go home that night and to begin to institute his plan. And so he began treating her like a goddess. I mean, he brought her flowers. He took her out on romantic weekends. He, he bought her presents for no reason at all. He, he did all of these things. He talked to her. They read books to each other at night. And about two or three months passed by, and his friend, the psychologist, called him up and said, hey, buddy, did, did you get a divorce? Are you a happy bachelor? Did you get that divorce? And he said, divorce? Are you kidding me? I married a goddess. I had never been happier in my life. And more of that is real simple, that what we treat as being precious becomes precious to us, that what we treat as being valuable becomes valuable to us. In the early days of uh, my marriage, there was one, one thing my wife used to say to me that I used to just, just drive me nuts, you know? Uh, 
I'm just being real honest with you today, you know? So uh, we'd have a conflict, you know? And then, and then she, she would put the onus on me. She would say, I'm just responding to you. You know, I'm just reacting to you. I just felt that that was so unfair. Why why do you have to react to me for? Why do I have to take the lead? And then all of a sudden, it began to dawn on me. That was my role, to take the lead. Of course, she would begin to respond to me if I took the right lead. If I took the wrong lead, she would respond to me. So I began taking small steps, tiny steps, (laughs) Uh, we, we began to do, especially, you know, since ministry, you know, on Sundays, we, we began to do, after church on Sunday, it would, be, it would be what we would call Kathy's Sunday night. And whatever she wanted, she would get. You want, you want a BLT? You got a BLT, baby. I'll make you the best BLT ever. You want a ham sandwich and cheese? I'll make you. I'll, you want Branchinelli's chicken soup? I'll go get you Branchinelli's chicken. I don't care what time it is. You want your feet rubbed? I'll rub your feet. You want your back rubbed? I'll rub your back. And you know, that's how it started. And she used to say this cute thing to me like, like during the week. She would say, what about my Sunday night? You know, and then I just thought it was adorable because what she was saying to me was, what thing special have you prepared for me? And I used to look forward to that, to, to, to really delight her. And, 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 and pretty soon Sunday spilled over into Monday and Monday spilled over into Tuesday. And it's become a way of life for us. And, and, and what I found is that the way that she reacts to my lead is to react in the same way. So we begin to compete with each other in outdoing each other in serving and loving one another. Let me ask you a question. Uh, I'm sure you probably have, have noticed this, maybe, maybe not, but, but here's the question. Did you ever notice that couples begin to look alike the longer that they're together? Anybody ever notice that? That couples begin to kind of, you know, they, they grow alike, they think alike. You know, oftentimes, Kathy and I, we will finish each other's sentence. I know what she's thinking. She knows what I'm thinking before I say it. And it's kinda, it kind of gets, you know, weird sometimes, but it's true. You, you begin to grow like one another. There was a study that was done in the University of Michigan, and the psychologist who was running this, this, this uh, uh, examination was, was, was looking at photographs of honeymoon couples and using a uh, kind of a facial recognition program 25 years later, he was examining their appearance 25 years later, and he found conclusively that people, the longer that they were married and the happier they were together, the more they began to physically resemble one another. Well, you know, I got to tell you something. That is absolutely true about our relationship with Christ. In fact, that is the goal of God for us. You see, we were originally created to bear the image of God. And that was marred because of the fall. But in the restoration process, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, 
salvation is not just about forgiveness. No, it's way more than that. It's about transformation. And God has an agenda. And his agenda is to conform us to the image of his son. And that daily there is a process that is taking place. And the longer we walk in the spirit and the longer we walk in our relationship with the Lord, the more we will begin to look like him. I came across uh, an interesting uh, article that I wanted to share with you. The the headline kind of got my attention. It was about Japanese men, uh, husbands, uh, loving on their wives. Now, when I think of Japanese men, especially Japanese businessmen, I I think of men who are kind of reserved, you know, uh, kind of uh, just dignified, you know, I mean, as a culture, you know, so so with, with that in mind, the, the the headline read this: "Loud and proud Japanese husbands shout declarations of love in public." Now, have you ever heard the adage about uh, what is newsworthy? You, you, you ever hear that when a dog bites a man, that's no big deal. That's not news. But when a man bites a dog, that's news, right? You, you've heard that. Well, well, with that in mind. Right? I'm sharing this story about Japanese men, right? And, and, and the purpose of this is, is that these men would, would create a culture of adoring husbands, the organizers behind this movement. Now, now the, 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 it's taken place for the last five years uh, at the end of January, around January 31st. And, and I don't understand it, but there was a play on words in the Japanese language where, where th- th- that kind of spells out. Uh, beloved wife, you know? And so what they do is they gather together in a park on a stage and, and these, these Japanese men begin to shout as loud as they can how these declarations of love for their wives. One, one particular Japanese businessman dressed in a nice suit, and it says this, it says, this is what he shouted out. He says, I'm sorry that I gained weight over the last seven years. But that's because the meals you cook are so delicious. Now the husband, while he was holding his little daughter in his arms, said, you're wonderful. Let's hug each other a lot tonight. Now I think there's something lost in the translation on that one. You know? But, but, but other declarations like this. And again, the, the, the website says it is to create a culture of, of adoring husbands and of wife consciousness. Well, they're a little bit behind the times. They've been doing it for five years. The Apostle Paul has been, has been encouraging us to do this for the last 2,000 years, that this is the way that a man is to love his wife. And could you imagine, could you imagine the kind of love relationships that we can have when men begin to follow this? You see, they step onto a stage and they shout, but Jesus Christ stepped onto the stage of, of human history. And, and he didn't just simply say that he loves us. He was stripped naked and nailed to a cross. And he demonstrated the love of God. This is how we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. What an amazing savior we have. There's nothing like bridal love. There's nothing like the spousal love that Jesus has for us. Jesus experienced anguish so that we might know joy. Jesus experienced the beatdown of an enemy 
so that we might receive the welcome of a friend. He surrendered to hellish, the worst that hell could possibly offer so that we could receive the best that heaven has to offer. He endured pain so that we might endure unending pleasure. Uh, John Piper has a book called The Pleasures of God, and he, he, he shares about the love of God that's superior to that of any human love. And that's why I said it's only a reflection. Even the, even the greatest love story is only a reflection of the love of Christ. This is what he writes. He says, sometimes we joke and we say about marriage, the honeymoon is over. But that's because we're finite. We can't sustain the honeymoon level of intensity and affection. We can't foresee the irritations that come with long-term familiarity. We can't stay as fit and as handsome as we once were. And that's why I want to say, John, speak for yourself. All right. We can't come up with enough, enough new things to keep the relationship that fresh. But God says his joy over his people is like a bridegroom over his bride. He's talking about honeymoon intensity, honeymoon pleasure, honeymoon energy and excitement and enthusiasm and enjoyment. And he's trying to get it into our hearts, he says, that this is how God rejoices over you, the church, as a bridegroom who rejoices over his bride. And then he goes on to say that this honeymoon never ends that what God has in store for us because of his creativity, because of his wisdom and his, and his because of who he is. He says, there'll be thousands of, of, of trillions of, of endless ages in which one age will be better than the one before where the pleasures of God will never cease because in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So let me just kind of sum up where we've been this morning. There's no greater love than God's spousal, God's bridal love for us. A love that can heal our brokenness and transform our marred images into the image of himself. Jesus Christ stepped onto the stage of human history so that he might demonstrate his passionate exuberant love for you and I. And because of that, because in his eyes we're precious, we become precious. And you know what? The best is yet to come. There's wedding bells in our future. Uh, I want to close with this story that I read about uh, Johnny Tejada Erickson. You may have heard about her. She was like 17 years old. She, uh, she had a diving accident, and when she dove into the water, she broke her neck, paralyzed from the neck down. And she's been that way for a number of years. But she had a wedding day, and she, she kind of parallels her wedding day to our wedding day. And I want you to listen to what she said. She said, I felt awkward as my girlfriend strained to shift my paralyzed body into a cumbersome wedding gown. No amount of corseting and binding my body gave me a perfect shape. The dress just didn't fit well. Then I was in a, a wheelchair into the church. I glanced down and I noticed that I accidentally ran over the hem of my dress, leaving a greasy tire mark. 
my paralyzed hands couldn't hold the, the bouquet of daisies that lay off center on my lap. My cheer, though decorated for the wedding, was still big and clunky and a gray machine with, with belts and gears and ball bearings. I certainly didn't feel like the picture-perfect bride in a bridal magazine. I inched my chair closer to the last pew to catch a glimpse of Ken in front. There he was standing tall and stately in his formal attire. I saw him looking for me, craning his neck to look up the aisle. My face flushed. I suddenly couldn't wait to be with him. I had seen my beloved. The love in Ken's face had washed away all my feelings of unworthiness. I was his pure and perfect bride. And then she said this, how easy it is for us to think that we are utterly unlovely, especially to someone as lovely as Christ. But he loves us with the bright eyes of a bridegroom's love and cannot wait for the day we're united with him forever. Folks, what I, what I want you to take away from in this message is knowing that the bridegroom, knowing that he loves you and me with a bridegroom's love, with a divine bridegroom's love. What, what, what can, can there be anything greater than that? A love that heals our brokenness, a love that transforms our image, a love that makes us precious and valuable in his sight. I want to ask you this question. Have you, have you seen his face? Have you seen the beloved? Have you, have you accepted his proposal? Because, because that's what salvation is. It's a proposal of entering into a relationship. You know, what is more significant is this relationship that I'm talking about this morning. It's, it, 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 is, it is closer than shepherd and sheep. It's closer than creator and creation. It's, it's closer than, than any of the metaphors used in scripture, even closer than a father and a child. There is no relationship closer than a husband and wife, none more intimate, none more indissolvable than God's indissolvable marriage proposal that he offers to you and me. Have you accepted his marriage proposal? Right now, this life, right now, this is the engagement period. Remember when he said in John chapter 14, he said, he said, in my father's house are many rooms. There there are many dwelling places. And and, and that had to do with the fact that once there was the agreement, the the proposal was, was accepted, the bridegroom would go back to his father's house and then he would begin to prepare a bridal suite, a, a honeymoon chapel for his, for his bride. And sometimes it would take a year. Sometimes it would take two years for him to complete. And when it was complete, the father would say, now son, go and get your bride. There's a day coming. There's a day coming when father will say, turn to Jesus and say, it's time. You came first to purchase for yourself a bride. Now go bring her back. He says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I know this this morning, that if you will accept his proposal, maybe you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Christ, I don't know. 
But, but, but think about it. Whether you're a male or a female, if, if you wanted to enter into a relationship with someone, that proposal, will you accept that proposal? Will you accept Christ as your Savior? That's what I want to pose to you this morning. And if, and if you do, he that comes to me, said Jesus, I will in no wise cast out. No way. He will accept you and accept this relationship. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you this morning that there are wedding bells in store for our future, that you love us with this spousal bridal love, and that love is so, it's, it's more powerful than, than death itself. It's stronger than death. Many waters cannot quench love. And we thank you this morning, Lord, that this is the way that you love us, that you see us as being precious and valuable in your sight, that, that all of our sense of unworthiness is washed away when we get a glimpse of this kind of love that you have for us, a love that casts out fear, a love that heals our brokenness. And so we pray this day, Lord God, that even as you are wooing someone here in this house this morning, that, that God, your will would be accomplished, that you would just usher them into the kingdom of God today, and if you'd like to do that, just want to give you a moment to do that. Start a conversation with Jesus, like something like this. It's not magic words. It's just simply your heart reaching out to his heart, saying, Jesus, come into my life. I accept your proposal. I enter into a relationship with you. Be my savior. Forgive me of my sins. Transform me with these promises that you've made. If you do that, I guarantee you, your life will never be the same.